Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. Before the mob stormed the U.S. Capitol and challenging the legitimacy of U.S. elections became commonplace, the Secretary of State's office performed the quiet but dependable act of running our elections. But now that work is under more scrutiny than ever. Rhode Island's new Secretary of State, Greg Amore, joins us to discuss how he plans to tackle this job. That's after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org slash weekly. That's ripbs.org slash weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with Rhode Island Secretary of State Greg Amore. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Ed. You know, Secretary of State in decades past has been seen as a more bureaucratic position, but now it seems like a job like yours is on the front line of democracy. So how do you view the mission of your job? The job has always been to make sure that we ran good elections and, and do our part in that process. But obviously with uh, January 6th and with the actually both both of the elections, 2016 and 2020, you know, when the narrative comes from the top that there is corruption, fraud, rigged, uh, whatever the terminology might be, it's incumbent upon us to push back on that as hard as we can with facts. I think one of the mistakes that we make in general is we say there's no fraud. Well, there is fraud. Any any big system like this has fraud. There's there's no fraud that determines the outcome of an election. It's it's very very minute. And then we have to explain to folks exactly why there's no fraud, that an undervote can happen in the presidential race in 2016 and 2020 that is not reflected down ballot. Republicans overperformed in both of those uh, elections down ballot. And I think if you talk to folks and you explain that, uh, they start to, nod, start to nod their heads and start to realize, okay, th- that's, a, that's a fact I really can't push back on. So this position, which was a sleepy position, has now come to the forefront. The chief elections officer has to make these cases and do it in public and do it continuously. And I don't think that was the case prior to the last six years or so. So let's talk about some potential changes to how Rhode Island runs its elections. During the campaign, you advocated for same-day voter registration. So what's the argument for letting people choose to participate in an election right up to election day? Representation is representation. Whether or not you've been 
in a precinct, a community, a district for 20 years or 20 minutes, the person who is going to be elected to represent you is your representative for those next two or four or, or six years, whatever the case might be, depending on where you live. And so that's the argument. I mean, I, I have talked during the campaign and then in the weeks since I've been inaugurated, I've, I've talked about enfranchisement and that we should always err on the side of enfranchisement. I mean, the technology today allows us to register people quickly, get that information all over the state and provide checks and a whole host of ways to make sure that that information is accurate. So it, it, the reality is we should do everything we can to make it easier for people to vote. And one way to do that is to let them register uh, right through election day. I mean, Rhode Island already has same-day voter registration for some elections, right? Presidential. Right. So president and vice president. And I think the last election we had about 5,000-plus folks take advantage of same-day registration and voting in a presidential. And am I correct that your proposal calls for requiring two forms of ID for same-day voter registration? So it's not necessarily my proposal. That's a, that's a proposal that that is bandied about in states who, who do have this, uh -huh. and some of them do, some of them don't. I, I think we should go through the process first, right? We've got a constitutional issue in Rhode Island. So our constitution mandates that 30-day voter registration limit. So this would re require a state constitutional amendment. Correct. So that's there's, a big deal. There's but, two uh, steps, yeah. right? The first step is to remove that restriction, and that requires an amendment. And that bill was put forward in the House, I know, by Nathan Bia last time as part of the Let Rhode Island Vote package. Right. So that's the first step. The first step is remove that restriction. Now, state law, in addition to the Constitution, has a 30-day restriction. So even if the constitutional restriction was removed, state law would be 30 days. But removing the constitutional restriction then allows the General Assembly to make a change. Right, right. And we could make a change to Massachusetts, which is 10 days, or we could go to same-day registration. Same-day registration takes many forms, but one of the things that is consistent in all states that do it, all 22 states that do it, is that there is proof of identification and proof of residency. So sometimes that can be with one piece of identification, but in many cases, that needs to be two. So you said how many other states? 22, 22 and the District states. of Columbia. Including any uh, New England states? So Connecticut, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire all have same-day voter registration. When we interviewed Senate President Dominic Ruggiero, he scoffed at this idea of same-day voter registration. He said, you know what I'll do? I'll take like 10 buses. I'll bus people in from all over the place, come into my district, register to vote that day, go vote for me, and leave. What do you say to that? Well, that would be impossible because you'd have to provide identification and proof of residency. And if you do not have both of those things, you can't be involved in a same-day voter registration. On that alone, the scenario that the Senate president proposed doesn't work. And when we interviewed your former colleague, House Speaker Joe Shikarchi, he also expressed concern about same-day voter registration. He said, to me, it's a logistical nightmare. Where's the Board of Elections on that? Does that mean you can register the same day and then you can run? He's talking about candidacy. Yeah, so those, those the, the candidacy laws are different. That wouldn't change. I, I wouldn't be able to get my signatures. Uh, I wouldn't be able to file on the same day. So you could never, the ballots are already printed out. Yeah. You would never be able to do that. So that's separate. And I'm not proposing, and I don't think anybody's proposing, a change in the candidacy laws. That process would stay the same. You know, I, I've heard Mayor Rivera in Central Falls talk about this. Uh, you know, someone has been in the country for five years and they've gone through the citizenship process, and they become an American citizen five days before the election, and they can't vote. The mm. thing that they've been looking to do, yeah, yeah. you know, th this is what they desire to do, become a part of the American process, and they're unable to do so because our voter registration period has expired. So 
for that person alone, this is a significant change. And I, I just, again, I, I'd like to repeat it again. We should err on the side of enfranchisement, and this would this would do that. And again, 22 states do this without logistical nightmares. I think people envision this as people going to a polling location and registering and voting at that polling location. And that's not really what it looks like in most states, the vast majority of states. There's a designated place, it's usually the city or town hall or a voting center, that this would take place separate from the polling places, much like it does for the presidential elections now. Senate President Ruggiero mentioned Ashley Kalis, the Republican who ran for governor in the November election after she registered to vote in Rhode Island in January of last year. Ruggiero said that was ridiculous. You have to have some kind of stake in the community. I mean, come on. So what's your take on that? He's talking about that, that residency requirement. I think the Rhode Island voters did a good job with Ashley Kalis. The media vetted her and they made a decision and, and she, you know, she got buried. I, I trust Rhode Islanders to to vet candidates. You know, I'm, I'm one of those people that's not a term limit fan either. I think elections are term limits. So that issue of the 30-day the residency requirement to run for statewide office, you don't propose changing that at all? No, no. If you're yeah. a qualified voter, 30 days. I mean, I'll, I'll <laughs> speaking as a politician, I'll take that opponent every time. Yeah, and, 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 but it does sound like you have some educating or lobbying to do with your colleagues up at the state house. Yeah, and I, and I think Speaker Shikarchi and President Ruggiero are – really thoughtful people. And I think they'll let the process play out in their committees. They're aware of the constitutional legislation. It was presented last time around. There's nuance to it for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and you know they're going to let it play out and their membership kind of drives uh, the agenda. I think we've seen that time and again. But you, you are going to get behind or propose a bill to allow same-day voter registration we're, to change the constitution? We're going to get behind the, the constitutional change, yes. Right, right. And, then, and then start having a conversation about what this looks like in real time. Right, right. Speaker Shikarchi also talked about shortening the early voting period that this year allowed Rhode Islanders to cast votes in person at city and town halls in the 20 days leading up to the election. What do you think of that idea? I think we should probably hold off on making any changes to the early voting period until the presidential election. I don't think we really know what it looks like until we've gone through a presidential. And I, I anticipate this presidential is going to be a wild election. I think there'll be incredible numbers uh, that come out to vote. Uh, I think an early voting period will ease the burden on election day, ease the burden even during the early voting period if we're 20 days. I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we may see that the voting takes place very similarly to how it did in the midterm, and then we can always adjust. Okay. When I did an exit interview with former Secretary of State Nellie Gobea, she said your biggest challenge as Secretary of State will be the same way facing the entire country, continuing to build trust in our government and democratic institutions. What can you do to build that trust? Well, the best way to do that is manage and run good elections, right? And Rhode Islanders also need to be educated on how we do that, right? We, we have a very unique system here where the Board of Elections actually runs the elections and the Secretary of State prepares the elections, right? The, the voter registration list, the ballots. We, we have to educate people that that is our process. I think it's a good process because it separates the political from the process. And, I, and that's really important. I don't think a Secretary of State should be able to put their thumb on the scale. It's incumbent upon us to really talk about how the process works and then to do it well. We also need to talk about when we don't do it well, be upfront and try to fix what went wrong. Two of the pieces of legislation that I will propose as Secretary of State, the first codifies what have become the protocols now for testing 
for the express voting machines, which we had a problem with in the primary. Right, um, right. So the protocols that were put into place, and I give Secretary Goebe and the Board of Elections a lot of credit, they worked together on those protocols to make sure that did not happen in the general. It didn't. The machines performed admirably in the general. But to codify those protocols and to give the board leeway in a general way to make adjustments when the technology changes is really important. I'm going to put that forward uh, quickly. The other piece of legislation I'm going to put forward would create a liaison position. I think in the campaign, I talked about it as a non-voting member of the board. I, I think whatever form it takes, I think there should be a person from the Department of State who is there in real time to support, answer questions, and report to the Board of Elections. Yeah, Secretary Gorbea told me that she would not run for public office again, and she said, it's clear to me that campaign finance reform is not only desperately needed, but a civil rights issue because well-qualified individuals who are not independently wealthy are at a distinct disadvantage. Do you see the need for campaign finance reform? So unless we have a court decision reversing um, Citizens United, I think the only way to combat this is more robust public financing. You know, we see some models of that in New York City where people who are running for the General Assembly uh, the, or the Assembly in, in New York are getting public financing in primaries, not just general. So I think that's the way to combat that until there's a, a shift legally. But I agree with Secretary Gobey. I, I think there's a concern that wealthy folks can come in and, and put themselves in a position to be elected, that the average Rhode Islander, and I consider myself an average Rhode Islander, right? I live in a, a ranch in, in middle-class East Providence. I'm a teacher. And, and, you know, it was difficult to raise money. It was very difficult to raise money in an election cycle that had a congressional race, governor's race, lieutenant governor's race. So it's a legitimate concern, but I think the way to combat it is more robust public financing. On Sunday, supporters of former Brazilian President Bolsonaro stormed Congress and the presidential palace down there based on false claims of voter fraud. How was that January 8th attack like our January 6th attack? In the uh, inaugural address that I gave, I, I talked about democracy being in the balance both at home and around the world. And we have seen that. Now, I, I think our last midterm election, the, the most recent election, we've seen pushback on that, right? The the denier candidates lost, by and large. Independent Americans voted against the denier candidates or people that were tied to uh, election denial. I think, at least in the United States, we're on a path moving away from that. But it's incumbent, again, upon secretaries of state and anybody who deals with elections to make the case that our elections are safe and secure. Another secretary of state in Arizona refers to election deniers there as MAGA fascists. He said these people are not grand old party Republicans. They're MAGA fascists. If they feel a little sensitive about that, then maybe they ought to reconsider their position vis-a-vis -vis American democracy and stop acting like fascists. What do you think of that statement? Yeah, I don't, I don't use that terminology. In, in, in the same address, I talked about you know, our political opponents being our neighbors, our fellow Rhode Islanders, our fellow Americans. I think we should open the door to anybody who's willing to talk to us and acknowledge some of the things that they may have thought are incorrect. I don't, I'm not sure we do anybody any favors by using fascism or Nazism to describe anybody. You know, one of the reasons I ran for this office was about what happened on January 6th. I think that was a group of incredibly misguided people who violated the law and they should be punished uh, accordingly, and they are being punished accordingly, and they're being prosecuted. But I, I think we, we, you know, to move forward as a nation, uh, we have to move forward as a nation. And that, that requires us to conduct ourselves with civility and make sure that our political opponents are treated with respect, although, you know, there should be a robust argument. 
the Boston Globe recently had a series detailing how threats, intimidation, and attempts to sow chaos are driving nonpartisan election administrators from their jobs. And in Rhode Island, we saw that the top election officials in 10 of the state's 39 cities and towns have left since the 2020 elections. What can be done about that? That's my greatest concern, is that you have tremendous institutional knowledge that is walking away. And I, I don't know specifically in Rhode Island how many of those cases where folks uh, getting a different job, retiring, or moving on, but there's no doubt that across the country, there's an exodus of elections uh, workers. You know, we have to do a couple of things. One, we have to protect them. We have to talk about how important their job is. I mean, you, you talk about a patriotic act of national service. Working our elections is just that. And we don't ever talk about those folks that way, or very rarely do we. And so we have to do that. We have to pay them a little more. For sure. And I, and I think that is incumbent upon cities and towns, the state, the federal government. And we have to make sure when there's a physical threat that they feel protected. You know, one of the big changes that has occurred in regard to voting is that it has become part of our national security infrastructure to protect the voting process. And, and that's physical and um, cyber. We also have to start recruiting the next generation of elections workers. And one of the things that I proposed is a liaison program with high schools and colleges and universities around the state where there's a faculty member and student members who have direct connection with the Department of State on everything from voter registration to curriculum that supports their education to recruitment of poll workers on election day. And I think if we build a foundation and a bench, so to speak, I think we have the next generation of poll workers and we have to sell it like public service, right? This, this is something that you're doing for your country. Secretary Mori, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Ed. Happy to be here. For more coverage of Rhode Island's elections, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Here are some more stories from our team. The Rhode Island Legislative Black and Latino Caucus elected two new leaders and is considering a name change. I have the details on this growing group of legislators, which now includes two Asian-American members. Brian Amaral has a list of transportation projects and trends to watch in Rhode Island for 2023. And Alexa Gagas has a Q&A with the local marketing firm AdVentures about their new virtual video production company. For these stories and more, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. And if you like the podcast, do us a favor. Follow the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.